Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for just a wonderful time of worship. Uh, God, where you have met us here. And now, God, as we prepare to, God, hear a word from heaven, we ask that you would eliminate all distractions. God, we've come to this hour with different things on our hearts and in our minds and different situations and circumstances in our lives that could detract us and distract us from you. But, God, by your grace, by your, the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would invade our time. Give us ears to hear what you have to say and let it be a source of encouragement and strength in our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm preaching from Psalms 23, and you can turn there in your Bibles. I titled this message, Resting in the Presence of the Shepherd. Resting in the Presence of the Shepherd. This is one of the most, you might hear my grandbaby crying. That's my baby. He loves his granddad, and he wants to be with me. I got to promote that. I mean, all the other kids belong to my wife, but for some reason, this kid loves his granddad, and I love him, so uh, that's what's happening there. He wants to come up here and be with granddad. So this is one of the most popular uh, psalms in the Bible. It's well known both to believers and unbelievers, and as, as it often is the case, Uh, familiarity breeds contempt in many cases. And so my prayer is that the Spirit of God would bring renewed freshness to this familiar song. Amen? Y'all can say amen. Amen? All right, there you go. The psalmist is singing about God, and he uses the metaphor of a shepherd to illustrate God's constant love and protection for his people or over his life. Many attribute this song to David. And who better to use the metaphor of God as a shepherd than one who spent his entire life shepherding both sheep and people. Amen. And so however one chooses, I've seen many different divisions of this book, but however one chooses to divide up this psalms, the one thread that I saw weaving throughout every verse and through every illustration is the promise of rest that is afforded to us because of the presence of the Lord, our shepherd. And so for me, because of its familiarity and so Uh, 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 And because of many misinterpretations, I would say, I want to make sure that we have a correct understanding of Psalms 23. It's even crucial more today than ever before. This is because we live. We live in a culture that defines success and productivity or a successful life or a productive life by its busyness. We are a culture who are addicted to busyness. And the fallout, if you will, is that busyness kills the heart. Writes Mike, uh, I think his name is Mark uh, Buchanan, in his book, The Rest of God. He says that our lives have become so busy that we've stopped caring about the things we care about. Let me repeat that. That our lives have become so busy that we stop caring about the things we care about. We're so busy doing good things that we have no energy and no time and no patience to care about our spouses. We have no time to care about our children, our churches, our neighbors. We stop caring about the very things we care about. And we are so exhausted that we want, uh, uh, that all we want is for the challenges in our lives to just go away. As I was going through this, I just kept seeing that, some of y'all are too young to remember this, but I kept seeing that old commercial, Calgon, I think that's what it was. Calgon, take me away. I don't know about you, but I feel like that sometimes because life can be so busy. So instead of investing ourselves in others, we rush 
to find the easiest possible solution to every challenge. We search for quick fixes in our marriages. We pawn the responsibility of our children uh, uh, to schools and to, to youth workers. And we, I'm going to say this very ethnically, we ain't got time for nobody else's drama. So in an attempt to counteract the fallout of stress and anxiety and worry and fear, we're becoming so addicted to prescription medicine that our nation is declaring a national emergency for an opioid addiction or epidemic. But Psalms 23 correctly shifts the burden of life from our weak and feeble shoulders onto those of Yahweh, our shepherd. It depicts our human way, our human life, the way God initially created. One lived in total rest and dependence and cooperation with him as our loving shepherd. Instead of perpetuating busyness, it is time for the church to celebrate the gift of rest that we have in the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd means that we can cease from the busyness of our lives and rest in his faithfulness uh, or in the faithfulness of his provision and his protection. All of which has been made available through the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon said that the position of Psalms 23 is worthy of notice because it follows Psalms 22, which is the psalm of the cross. He said there are no green pastures, no still waters on the other side of the 22nd Psalm. It is only after we have read, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, that we come to the Lord is my shepherd. You with me? The reason we can rest today in the Lord as our shepherd is due to the work described in Psalms 22. Today we can sing the 23rd Psalm about resting in the presence of the shepherd who lives among his sheep because all the work has already been done. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. My first point, you thought that was my first point, I know. You was hoping that was my first point. The promise of the shepherd's presence. The Lord is my shepherd. I like this. He's my shepherd, my personal shepherd. Psalms 103 says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we, are, are we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. As our shepherd, he is always present with us. He made us. We belong to him. We're his responsibility and he will never, ever leave us. I don't know about you, but that's good news. He always, he's always with us. Through, though we may not always acknowledge his presence, though we may not always feel his presence, that doesn't change the reality that, the, that he promises to be with us and to never forsake us. Oh, I love that. But I must make an important distinction right here. Not everyone can sing that the Lord is my shepherd. In spite of its popularity, regardless of how many placards are hanging in kitchen wall, on kitchen walls, no matter how many people are drawn to this psalm seeking comfort, not everyone can sing, the Lord is my shepherd. Only those who have heard and responded to the call of the good shepherd who cried out in Psalms 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in John Chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus identifies himself as that good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Sometimes at night, the shepherds in biblical times would enter into the city in order to sleep. And they would bring their flock with them. And so they would put them into the community's sheepfold. It was like a public parking lot for sheep. And in verse 3 and 4 of John, John, Jesus says, out from amongst this community of sheep, he only calls those who are his. 
It's like pressing the panic button on your keys and only your car will beep because it's your car. So, 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 so he calls each one of us by name because they are his sheep. They hear and respond to his voice, and he leads them out from amongst all of the other sheep. I love that. So not only, not, so not everyone can say, the Lord is my shepherd. Only those whom he has called by name and who has responded to his call of salvation. Now the title, shepherd, was also used to refer to kings who while living amongst their people had the responsibility of providing and protecting them. In the, the, the context of this psalm, listen, it's not necessarily referring to the king, but it's being used to illustrate the shepherd-sheep relationship where the shepherd has the responsibility to love and care, provide and protect his sheep. These domestic sheep could not provide or protect themselves. They had no killer instinct and no means of defending themselves. They didn't have fangs or venom. They didn't have sharp teeth or claws. They couldn't roar. They couldn't climb. They couldn't swim. They could barely run. They were completely helpless. And yet they lived in a very inhospitable, extremely dangerous, often treacherous environment. They faced extreme heat, rocky cliffs, deep ravines, barren land. Often there was no water or there was rushing water. These sheep could not survive without the constant presence of their shepherd. Am I painting a picture? But the sheep were never concerned for what they would eat or where they would sleep. They simply trusted in the presence of the shepherd to provide and protect them. They were free just to be sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We need only be concerned with being his sheep. Because there is an implied promise here. That because Yahweh is our shepherd, he is present with us and his presence assures us that he will satisfy all our wants. I like that. It's important, though, that we have a right understanding of what he means when he says, I shall not want. To want means to lack what is necessary and therefore to have an actual need. It is much more than a simple whim or desire or to covet something that's not yours. In the context of this verse, what is wanted is something that is essential to the life and the well-being of the sheep. My problem is that I want what I want usually stirs up within me feelings of anger and worry and anxiety and even depression because I don't have what I want. And it is this wanting for something that I don't have that causes me to become busy working to obtain what I think I want. Does that make sense? Somebody say amen. Somebody say keep going preacher. All right, thank you. It is in these feelings of wanting that often causes me to turn away from trusting and waiting on the Lord to pursuing my own means of satisfying what I want. And I don't think that I'm alone in this. So I'm learning to use my feelings as prayer prompts. I'm learning to name my feelings when I went through depression and I had to meet with a psychiatrist and a psychologist. One of the things that I didn't even realize that I didn't know is I didn't even know how to identify what I was feeling. I didn't know how to name what I was feeling, so I had no way of really addressing it or dealing with it. But I learned that now how to name my feelings and the emotions and then consider how I feel and what I feel and then take that feeling and what I want to my shepherd in prayer. Oh, how I wish I could say that I've perfected this. But what I can say is that the Holy Spirit is perfecting it in me. And listen, it is not only negative feelings and wants that, that I use as prayer prompts. I desire to live my life in the presence of the shepherd. So I realize that I'm always feeling something. What about you? 
And so when a powerful feeling rises to the surface, the good and the bad, it reminds me that I'm a sheep and that my shepherd is present with me. And in doing this, I'm learning to live in the presence of the shepherd. I know by faith that he's with me because the Bible tells me so. Amen. But the more that I take my feelings and my wants to my shepherd in prayer, the more his presence with me becomes an experiential reality. Does that make sense? And it is this, the, the reality, the, the experience of his presence that most satisfies and feels what my soul really wants. Are you with me? And he's teaching me that I don't always need what I want, right? The Lord meets all of our needs. So, so when we're wanting for something, it's a good idea to check the motivation of our heart. There's my other daughter, y'all. <laughs> See, like, oh, you did not do that to me. We needed a break right here. All advertising is designed to excite our flesh. For, to, to want more stuff, amen? We want a bigger TV. We, we, we want a better cell phone. My wife bought a new cell phone. She's like, oh, don't say that. Don't go there. She's got a new cell phone. And at first, mine was okay. <laughs> right? I mean, I got the iPhone 6, y'all. Hey, with no, no problems. I use it. I mean, it does everything I want. But now she's got this big old phone. I mean, I forgive her, it's an Android, but it's still nice. I found myself like, I got to get that big old iPhone 7 now. You, you know, I thank God. I, I, so I went outside and I threw it down and I cracked the wind. No, I didn't do that for it. It actually accidentally slipped out of my hand and cracked. But it's, it's funny, though, how we start seeing all of the new and shiny stuff and something in us says, I want those new clothes. I want that shiny car. I want that new TV. I mean, that's what uh, 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 advertising is designed to do, to stir up our feelings. Want fuels busyness. I'll make this personal so as not to offend anyone. But it is often my wanting for what I don't have that breeds discontentment and creates within me feelings of fear, stress, anxiety, and worry that often leads me into depression. I recently read that prayer is the key to enjoying God's provisions. And that when we are in want, we just need to pray and ask God to supply what we want. But I couldn't disagree more. I think differently. I think that the key to enjoying God's provision is contentment. This only makes sense because if we truly believe that he is God and that he is our shepherd and that he is with us and that he is uh, 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 responsible for us, then how could we ever want for anything more? See, the key then is not prayer for more, but resting in contentment in the presence of the Lord. That should help somebody. That's the exhortation. That's the exhortation from the writer of Hebrews. He links contentment to the presence of the Lord. Hebrews 13, 5 says this. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself said, I will never desert you nor will I ever forsake you. His encouragement to be content is contingent upon the fact that God said he would never desert him and that he would never forsake him. We don't need more money. I I said more money. We need to learn to rest in the presence of the shepherd, knowing that he has already promised to supply all of our needs. It is learning to be content in his presence that we find rest from the busyness of discontentment. That's the attitude of Paul in Philippians when he says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I need to stay here because I got a whole lot. Somebody's going to have to wave at me because, you know, now I'm getting off instead of going to my, my manuscript, you know. She waved at me. I didn't want to see that. But Paul says, I'm learning 
that in whatever circumstance that I'm in, I'm learning how to be content. I, I, I know how to get along with humble means, and I, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. His contentment is found in knowing Jesus Christ and being in the presence of his Lord. And so the more time we spend acknowledging his presence in our lives, the more content we become because he strips away the empty wants that obscure what is really needful. And he exposes that what I really need is to be forgiven. He exposes what you really need is to be made holy and right with God. He exposes that, that what we all need is to be sanctified and justified and purified so that we might live in his presence. And here's the wonderful thing. Once he deals with our hearts and exposes what we really need, then as our good shepherd, he meets every one of those needs. Isn't that good news? I thought by now y'all be swinging on the chandelier. <laughs> Listen, we don't have to pray about it. We don't have to stress over it. We, we cannot work for it. He makes us righteous. He makes us holy. When we sin, he supplies us with grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so what he desires from us is simply to cease from the busy work of trying to meet our own needs and just rest in his presence as our shepherd who has promised to meet all of our needs. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Number two, the peace of the shepherd's presence. When I view my life through the prism of this verse, it prompts a sense of peace in the midst of life's most difficult trials because it exposes the shepherd's heart to me. Listen, I don't know about you. But I don't always understand why bad things happen in my life or why God allows specific difficulties to occur. I'll be honest, I often ask God why. I know I ain't supposed to, but I do. I often ask, why me, Lord? Why this, Lord? Why now, Lord, listen, I know he's a, the, the, the sovereign Lord. I know what the Bible teaches about his goodness and his, his love for me. And I know he's always in control. I know that. But sometimes, can I be real? Sometimes the trials are so difficult. The days are so dark. A family crisis can turn our world upside down. A health condition can cause us to contemplate eternity. A financial burden can make us feel like giving up. And I don't know about you, but I am often afraid because I'm not in control. <laughs> Sometimes I worry because I don't know the future. In other times, my anxiety gets the best of me because I'm so tired of all the drama. And it's in these difficult circumstances that we want more than just a head knowledge of who God is and what God can do. We need a, a foothold, if you will. We, we need a rock uh, in a, 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 to grab onto. We, 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 we need something concrete to assure us of his activities in our lives so that we can continue passing through. And I find that in this verse. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. I see something of real substance here. There's surety as a, a picture, a, a guarantee of something good to come in our future. Green pastures are inevitable. One day we will walk with him beside still waters. Listen, the Lord is our shepherd. So listen, our arrival into green pastures and still waters is unavoidable. That's good news. <laughs> 
In the midst of life's crisis or circumstances, no matter what we're going through, no matter how long, listen, it might be right around the next corner or over the next hill. We may have to wade through troubled waters or trek through the wilderness a little while longer. The valley of the shadow of death may be just ahead, but this verse tells me that the Lord's purpose and plan is to bring me into green pastures and to walk with me beside still waters. And in his purpose and plan, we find great peace. Because Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I love that verse. And Isaiah says, For the Lord of hosts has planned, and who can frustrate it? And as for his outstretched hand, who can turn it back? Isn't that a good promise? Since God can do all things, and since his purpose is to bring us into green pastures, then this purpose of his uh, uh, cannot be thwarted. And since his plan is to walk with us beside still waters, then who can frustrate his plan in our lives? As he leads us with an outstretched hand, who can turn us back? So my point is this. It will happen. We will arrive. You will come through. You will make it. And so in this, we can find rest in the peace of his presence, knowing with certainty that green pastures and still waters are in the future. He makes me lie down. This does not mean that the Lord forces us to rest. Sometimes I wish he would. (laughs) But being that he is the one who causes the green pastures to sprout up, And being that he is the calm in the resting waters, that's the interpretation. This means then that he is the impetus, the the source, that he himself is our peace. And so the more we spend time with him in prayer and in the word and in worship, the more we rest in the work he has done to ensure our peace. The Bible says that he keeps us in perfect peace. (laughs) <laughs> to lie down is to rest. And rest is not laziness. And it's not the absence of all activity. But resting is ceasing any activities, thoughts, and feelings that detract from the enjoyment of worship and distracts from our attentiveness in the presence of God. So rest can be hard work at times. It can be hard work that requires a great deal of effort because our lives are oriented towards work. But it is in this rest that God meets us uh, with his presence and and, and he redirects our hearts away from the busy activities of masking my fears and worries and anxieties, which I said often leads me to depression. And he redirects my heart towards him and he speaks these words of peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Don't let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And so resting is not only a position of the body, but also a disposition of the mind and the heart. It is a condition of trust and vulnerability before God so that we can focus every ounce of who we are towards being with him. Are you with me? Now there's also a spiritual aspect of rest. Rest is a spiritual gift from God. One day, I mean on day one of creation, all by himself, with no help, God separated the water, I mean God, God created light and darkness. Amen? On day two, all by himself, With no help, God separated the waters in the sky from those below. Amen? On day three, all by himself. With no help, God created seas and dry land and vegetation. On day four, 
all by himself with no help. God created the sun and the moon and the stars on day five all by himself with no help. God created the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea. And on day six, all by himself with no help, God created land creatures and he created man. And then on the seventh day, after finishing all of the work of creation after all of the work he had done all by himself having no help he rested then he commands his people to observe as a gift this day of rest they hadn't lifted one finger to help God create anything in fact, they were helpless to create anything, being created creatures themselves. So they hadn't done anything to deserve a day of rest. God alone finished all the work, and yet he gave man this free gift of rest in the work that he had already done. Somebody, I need a Holy Ghost somebody in here. As helpless. As they were, as undeserving as they were, they were given this day of rest to worship and enjoy God and all that he had created for them. Covenant Grace, in three days, God finished the work of redemption all by himself, with no help from us. God finished the work of salvation, and he gave us the gift of entering into his rest. Oh, come on, covenant grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no man may boast. We did not do one thing to help God. In fact, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So Hebrews 4.11 says, let us be diligent to enter into this rest. To rest in his work is to acknowledge that we are utterly incapable of producing a life that honors and pleases and glorifies God. It is to acknowledge that we are helpless to save ourselves. And so to rest in the finished work of Christ, a work he finished all by himself on the cross with no help, is to cease all efforts and stop any work that attempts to earn salvation and favor with God. This spiritual gift of rest is a free gift of God's grace. Come to me, he said. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, and I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find, thank you, rest for your soul. I just want to see if you're awake. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Someone here may need permission to rest so that you don't feel guilty. You have my permission. Somebody going to go home and tell their wife, Pastor K, he said, I have permission to rest. You're supposed to be out there cutting the grass. I ain't. <laughs> Relax, though. Slow down. Breathe deeply. Worship God. And you can even smile every once in a while. Take some time to enjoy the peace of the shepherd's presence. Lie down and rest in green pastures of his grace. Rest in the finished work. Rest in his written word. Rest as you walk with him beside the still waters. Can I keep going? He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The position of the shepherd's presence. Again, we see here the presence of the Lord leading us. He leads us in paths, multiple that's multiple paths of righteousness. Why? For his namesake. You see that? To restore means to return back or to bring back. So as we travel, look at this, with the Lord along various paths of righteousness like sheep, we have a tendency to stray. Amen? 
And there are times when the cares of life can cause us to take our eyes off the shepherd in front of us and we end up lost, lost in self-doubt, lost in strongholds of sin, lost in guilt and shame, sometimes even lost in addictions. And so when he, by his grace and mercy and goodness, he restores us, when, as Romans 2, 4 says, by his riches or by the abundant supply of kindness and forbearance and patience, he restores us through repentance, then we are refreshed, renewed, revived, reinvigorated. We are restored. I wish I could stay there. I wish I could talk to you about times in your life, times in my life, where it was the kindness of God that brought us back to repentance when he could have disciplined us, when he could have taken us behind the spiritual shed and whipped us, but he blessed us and he brought us back and we felt, have you ever? No, okay. (laughs) He restores my soul. Restores to what? Or restores it to where? He restores our position of rightness in his presence. We cannot keep ourselves in his presence. And we cannot bring ourselves back. So he restores our soul. He brings us back to himself. He returns us to the sheepfold. And let me help you. Until being in the presence becomes a habitual practice, we must intentionally throughout the day, all day long, refocus our minds on him and acknowledge his presence with us. Did you hear me? Listen, God uses little nudges throughout the day to say, hey, what's up? I'm with you. You're not alone. I was on a business trip to Chicago. This was well over 20 years ago. I was in Schaumburg, and I don't know what it's like today. But I went shopping with several co-workers. And I don't know what it's like, like I said today, but there were very few black people shopping in that mall. There were very few black people in that suburb at that time. I was the only black guy amongst my co-workers. And as we walked through the mall, one of my co-workers noticed that every time I walked past a black guy, we made eye contact and we did one of these numbers. And we said very quietly under my breath, under our breath, what's up? (laughs) And my coworker was amazed. She asked me why we did this. How did we even know to do that with each other when we were perfectly strangers? I said, it's just what we do. It's our way of saying, what's up? (laughs) I'm with you. You're not alone. See, as we spend time with God, we will begin to recognize the many different ways throughout the day that God nods at us and says, what's up? I see you. I'm with you. You're not alone. And listen, whenever you sense one of those nods, one of those nudges, it it could be a scripture that just pops into your mind. It could be in someone, uh, uh, something that someone says, or or it may come through a song, or you may be driving in your car and and just have an overwhelming sense of love and, and of his grace, however it occurs. The more we acknowledge him, the more we, the more we reinforce the habit of living in his presence. Does that make sense? And so whenever I sense one of these nudges from the Lord, I simply say, thank you, spirit. Or I love you, Father. Or what's up, Jesus? I see you. You're with me? I'm not alone. And this It's this practice of acknowledging the Lord's presence, often in small, but sometimes in very significant ways. It impacts, immediately impacts my attitude and how I go about maybe the task at hand. It restores my soul. It brings me back. It reminds me of my position in his presence. He leads me beside. He leads me in paths of righteousness. The key to being led by the shepherd is knowing his voice. We want him to lead us, and we pray for guidance and direction, but this is already what a good shepherd does, right? He leads. He doesn't point us in the right direction and say, now go find your own way. He leads us in paths 
of righteousness. So what we must do is learn how to follow the leading of his voice. You know how after you've been around a person for a long time when you can distinguish the, the uniqueness of their voice. It could be a on TV, it could be in a crowded room or on the phone, but because you've heard the voice so much, it's easy to distinguish their voice even amongst the noise of others. Have you ever experienced that? We learn to distinguish the voice of God as we spend considerable time listening to him speak from Scripture. Only then when he speaks in that still small voice will we recognize and follow him. Did you catch that? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. I, I love this. God's reputation is at stake. His character is on the line. The promotion of his glory in and through the lives of the sheep will be seen. The way he cares for us reveals who he is. God stakes his reputation on being a, a good shepherd, on, on, on how faithfully he provides and he protects us. Therefore, we will never have to concern ourselves with whether or not God is going to take care of us. I'm going to help you because I know my time, my time is up. For he is our God and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your heart. He is glorified in our lives and through our lives by, by his care for us. That, that, that's huge uh, covenant grace because it means there's no need to ever fear or to worry or to be anxious for anything. Notice that in this psalm, he, he's the one who makes us. He leads us. He restores us. He guides us. He comforts us. He prepares for us. He anoints us. He provides and protects us. Protects us. He does it all. For his glory. That's good news. It means that his leading us on paths of righteousness is never based on how good I am as a sheep. Because I can be a, you know I'm going where I'm going, right? A bad sheep. <laughs> it means... It's not determined on how well we can follow him. It means it's not contingent upon, upon how much I pray. It's not based on anything we do or fail to do. For it, it, it is for his namesake alone. It is for his reputation alone. It is for his glory alone. By, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. All his works. So what's left for us to do? Just be sheep in his pasture. Learn his voice. Obey his call. Follow his lead. Enjoy his labor. Rest in him. Should I stop? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The protection of the shepherd's presence. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We're walking through. You see that? Look at your Bible. We're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. We're not lying down. We're not abiding there. We mustn't set up camp. We, we have a different destination. We are following, catch this, the leading of our shepherd. Are you with me? If you find yourself this morning, believer, in the valley of the shadow of death, these are places and circumstances and feelings of deep darkness. Listen, if you've been following the leading of the shepherd, then the valley is just one of the many paths of righteousness. Whoa. And he has determined that it is the best, best path for you. What? So don't be afraid of the dark. <laughs> He'll lead you. Through, we must recognize that sometimes on the way to green pastures and still waters, we must walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But this is where we get in trouble. 
This is where we stop following. This is where we begin to look for a different path. One that seems right. I'll be honest, me, okay, because all y'all look super holy. One that seems right in my own eyes. So we stray from the path of righteousness and we run in a different direction, fearing the deep darkness of the valley of the shadow of death. But listen, it is in the valley that more than ever we must trust the leading of the shepherd. He knows the way to green pastures and still waters. In fact, he is the way. (laughs) So in truth, Being with him means that in a real sense, even while we're walking through the valley, we already have green pastures and still waters, even though we're not there yet. I'm going to walk away for that one. Theologians call that the already and the not yet. If you're walking through a dark valley, listen, just keep Walking. Don't turn around and run. Keep walking in prayer. Keep walking in study. Keep walking in fellowship. Keep walking in church. Draw closer to your shepherd. I hate to admit this in front of my wife and children. Oh, I heard her say, oh, Lord. I get them all the time. I get her all the time. But there's been times at night when I wanted to run to my car. I might have been out shopping late at night, something like that, but I found myself alone in the dark, and my car is far away, and it's all darkness to my car, and my heart starts pounding faster, and my pace begins to quicken. Something in me wants to run to my car. I'm all alone in the dark. Nobody else is around, but I got to stay cool. You, you know, some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. You're just not cool like this. But I steady myself, and I try to walk normal. But the fear puts a little skip in my step. I'm really not looking Too cool at all if anyone's watching. All I want to do is run to the light because felt I I feel that as soon as I get into the light, the light will dispel my fear. Psalms 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When we are in the valley and we're going through times of deep darkness, it's okay to run to the light of God's word. See, the problem with darkness is that we can't see. We get lost in the darkness. I've been there, church. I've been there. We can't see our way out of the darkness of depression or marital problems or personal addictions. We can't see in the darkness of health problems. So what we need in the darkness is a flashlight. The Bible says that the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It illuminates the righteous path of God. In the darkness, there exists a sweetness in the presence of the Lord. Uh Uh-oh. What? Because he's there in the darkness. So instead of trying to find my way out of the darkness, listen, I'm learning to use the light of Scripture to find the Lord in the darkness. He's there with me. His presence is there in the darkness. And then if I could just grab a hold of him, if, if, I, can, if I can just grab onto the hem of his garment, then I know he will lead me all the way through the valley of the shadow of death. The valley can often be the most productive, the most exciting, the most wonderful time of walking with the Lord on the path of righteousness. Absolutely. It is in the valley that the shepherd teaches us our need for him. 
Are you with me still? It is in the deep darkness of the valley when we can't see anything that we learn how to listen and recognize the voice of the shepherd. When we are in the green pastures, we are often preoccupied with all of the blessings from the shepherd. But in the valley, the only thing we seek is the shepherd himself. The fear comes when I think I'm walking all alone. The fear comes when I think there's no way out of the darkness and I feel like I'm going to be lost in the valley forever. But I must intentionally remind myself to just keep walking through. The weight of depression can cause me to want to stop, but then the Lord reminds me that he's with me. One of those little nudges. What's up? I'm with you. You're not alone. Sometimes he does that through my wife. Sometimes he does it through a brother in Christ. Other times he does it with someone in the church or a stranger on the street. But the Lord always reminds me that he is with me. And it is that realization that helps me overcome my fear and continue walking through the valley. Does that make sense? What are you afraid of today? What worries you? What is it that won't allow you to rest. What's keeping you up all night? Listen, whatever it might be, if you're able to accept by faith the reality that the Lord is with you and in you, then his presence will strengthen you for the walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The Lord is with me. And his rod, and with his rod, he defends and protects me. And with his staff, he leads and guides and rescues me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Comfort doesn't fully communicate what the presence of the Lord with his rod and his staff does for us. A better translation is that it encourages us. It gives us courage. It, it gives us strength. It fortifies us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So we can rest from running. We can rest from fear because the Lord is with us and his presence strengthens and protects us as we journey through the deepest, darkest of days. Should I stop? I love this church. <laughs> you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The provision of the shepherd's presence. The metaphor changes here. Did you notice that? The metaphor changes from the shepherd to a host. But the theme of rest is still present. God rests for us includes resting from the attacks and from fighting with our enemy. You hear that? So to eat in the presence of enemies is to enjoy the provisions of God and in, in, in a place of peace and rest. Let me show you. The presence of the enemy is not one where they're lying and they're watching us and they're waiting to attack us. That's not the picture he's painting. But in biblical times, after capturing the enemy, the enemy would parade around the captives. And the victors would celebrate in the presence of the enemy. God has already defeated our enemies. Come on, covenant grace. Listen, Hebrews 2 says this. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those through fear, uh, who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their life. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Our enemy has already been defeated, church. So it is in the presence, look at this. Get this picture. It is in the presence of a defeated enemy that God prepares a table before us. The table that the Lord prepares for us in the presence of the enemy is a banquet feast. It's a party, y'all. It's a table of celebration and victory. See, we, it's a shame that we pretty much only use this psalm at funerals. I mean, he's not talking about 
literal death here. But we sort of only hear this psalm in funeral. The only, only funeral where I think that this psalm should be, should be read every time is the funeral of my fleshly man coming to know Jesus Christ. And look, our enemy has to stand around and watch us having a good time. I love that picture. Like when I was in high school. And I went to the school dance. And I used to hold up the wall and watch everybody else having a good time because I couldn't dance. I would just stand on the wall. <laughs> it's horrible. Horrible memory. Our enemies are standing around watching us enjoy the bounty of the Lord, and there's nothing they can do about it. Our enemy is Satan and death and sin, and because of what Jesus did on the cross, they've already been defeated, church. And so we can celebrate our victory right in their face. And even while we're in the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord prepares this table of victory before us. It's his way of encouraging us to celebrate what we already or that we already have the victory, even though it has not yet been fully realized. <laughs> Here's the thing. We're fighting a battle that's already been won. So, when we wrestle against principalities and spiritual weakness, wickedness in high places, the struggle is real, amen? Struggle is real because they're, they've not yet been banished into the lake of fire, but they've already been defeated. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, the shepherd dotes on us. Can I use that word? It's an old person's word, I know. Because he loves us. Our rest, our comfort, our pleasant disposition is his concern. So he feeds us and anoints our head with oil, which refreshes us from the heat of the sun. It's like putting lotion on or sunblock on when you're feeling hot and dry. He wants us to, to lack for nothing so that we don't look to the world or to anyone or anything else to satisfy us but the Lord himself. He wants us to desire him so much that we are not just content with him alone, but there is a real sense that in him, with him, we have no want at all. So we can rest and rejoice. God must be a happy God. Only a happy God, a joyous God, will go through such length to help us experience his joy. It is his desire and his purpose to make us a joyful Joy, I'm going to skip. I'm going I'm to come to an end. I can see the, the eyes starting to get heavy, I know. Joy is a settled conviction produced by the Holy Spirit that no matter what my past, my present, or my future situation may be, because the Lord is my shepherd and he is with me, everything will work out for his glory and my good and his timing, and I can rest in that. Here's the last thing, and this is just a couple of words. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like every good shepherd, our shepherd has two sheepdogs. Their names are goodness and mercy. And they don't just follow us around. They relentlessly hound us. They pursue us. They track us. They hunt us. They round us up and return us back to the sheepfold in the presence of the Lord. His goodness and mercy keeps bringing us back over and over and over and over again into the house of the Lord, which simply refers to being in his presence. And so this is where we will dwell, church. This is where we will abide. This is the place of grace. This is the place of love where nothing can ever separate us. And so we never have to worry about getting lost again. Never have to worry about getting lost in guilt, getting lost in shame, humiliation of sin because of the sheepdogs. Goodness and mercy rounding us up and bringing us back continually 
into the presence of our good shepherd. And so our rest is secure. We can rest in the presence of the shepherd. Psalms 23, a psalm. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.